So I mentioned already, I am the new guy here. I've been here for a couple of weeks, but it's been a lot of fun to learn and discover um, the Tri-Cities and the people of the Tri-Cities and the people of this church. It really has been a, a fun experience. We're learning a lot. We're figuring things out. Some of you have asked, how are we doing finding our way around in a new city and a new environment? And I, I will say we are learning and <laughs> we're figuring things out. I've learned, for instance, that if someone invites you uh, to have a meal with them at Porter's, they mean the barbecue restaurant and not the gas station. So there's some things that you learn maybe the hard way too. So yes, <laughs> there's some things that we're still learning and figuring out. Pray for us as we find our way around here in the Tri-Cities, but we are having fun. We have a lot of things to be grateful for. Um, this past weekend, we got a chance to go see a Dust Devils game. And that was fun, our first Dust Devils game. So this is a picture of our family. We had a friend from Vancouver that was visiting with our kids, and so that was great. We got to do that. And then this past week, our kids started school. So first week of school, and with that, of course, is all the anxiety of a new school and new place. And <clears throat> God was so good to us. So we're thankful for your prayers. God was good to our family, good to our kids, and the, and the, and the students of here at South Hills Church were a real encouragement to our kids as well. I will share one story because it's quite meaningful um, to me and to our family. Um, our daughter Renee, who's going into the eighth grade, so she's in the eighth grade this year, and she, like, like anyone, like understandably, going to a new school, you're nervous about, you know, am I going to go, am I going to find all my classes? Am I going to get lost? Who am I going to sit with? If I, you know, who do I talk to? All the normal questions you would have starting a new school, new place, transitioning in. Um, so, quite nervous that first day. But that first day of school, there was a girl who's, who attends here at South Hills Church that Renee met at um, the Waves camp, the summer camp, the middle school camp, and has been a part of the middle school youth group and has made a, made a connection to Renee. She looked for Renee on that first day of school. And, um, and it, was so, it was really cool because I'll get through this, I promise. But it's cool because she looked for Renee on that first day. And, um, and she found Renee in the, in the lunchroom. She looked for her, she found her. And that's kind of a scary moment, right? Where am I going to sit? Where am I going to go? And she found Renee and said, hey, come sit with me at, our, at my table with my friends. And so by the time Renee gets to that table, all the seats were taken. There was no space for Renee to sit down. So this, this sweet girl from South Hills Church gets up, leaves her friends, finds a new table, and sits with Renee on her first day of school. First day of school. So, it's small stuff, but it's meaningful. So thank you for your prayers, and thank you for, um, we're grateful for this church family already, for the people that we're meeting. Just a small story, but just, but meaningful nonetheless in the midst of transition. And transition, as you know, is hard. In the midst of any transition, it's important to stop and say, what can we be thankful for in transitions? Can, transitions can be um, confusing. Transitions can be chaotic. And so it's important to stop and say thanks and to look for those opportunities to be thankful. And the passage we're going to look at today is a reminder of that. It's a reminder to be thankful. And it's especially important because no matter what transition you are in, we're all in different transitions. There's chaos, there's confusion. And in the midst of those moments, it's important to say thanks. It's important to stop and to be grateful. 
Um, And the passage we're going to look at is an important passage because it helps us understand that. But let me warn you right at the beginning that this is not an easy passage. That what we are going to look at today is extremely challenging. So I just want to be upfront with you. This is very, very challenging passage. Why is it so challenging? Well, it's challenging because being grateful isn't always so natural to us. In fact, what's more natural to us most of the time is to be ungrateful, to look for things to be critical about or to complain about. That tends to be more natural. So this is a challenging passage. So, so you, you know, think about parents. Do they have to tell their kids and remind them to complain? No. Parents do not have to remind their kids to complain. It comes very naturally. But you know growing up, What was it that your parents were constantly reminding you to do? To clean your room. There you go. That is, that's truth right there, right? But your parents were constantly reminding you to say thanks. To say thanks. You know the moment when someone, you know, you were a kid, someone gives you a popsicle, and your parents like looking at you, and you're like looking back, and they're they're looking at you, their parents are looking at you and saying, what do you say now? You know, what are you going to say? And of course, what you say is, I wanted the blue one. That's what you end up saying, right? (laughs) But what they're hinting at the entire time is, say thank you. They gave you a popsicle. It doesn't matter what color. Say thank you. But it's a challenge for us. It's more uh, natural for us to complain, to be critical, to be ungrateful, than it is to give thanks, to remember to give thanks. And it's funny because we have a holiday, right, that reminds us to be thankful, We have a holiday every year that comes around that reminds us to be thankful. Thanksgiving comes, and it's a reminder. But here's the the interesting thing, that even though we have a holiday that reminds us to be thankful, that even even on Thanksgiving, we can have a hard time being grateful, can't we? I remember reading an article several years ago about a man on Thanksgiving who um, got uh, arrested for uh, assaulting his family and, and, um, because on Thanksgiving Day. And the reason for it, he's got so enraged over the fact that his turkey was not defrosted. It wasn't, it wasn't defrosted. So he takes the turkey, he ran out to the street, and he throws the turkey on the ground. He also throws a pie on the ground, too. I have no idea why he throws the pie on the ground. To me, that's just a bit more of a... That's just travesty right there. That's criminal, really, quite honestly. Why would you throw the pie? But he throws the turkey, he throws the pie on the ground, and then um, it gets worse from that point because then the, the, the wife gathers up the kids and just wants to get away from her angry husband as she's driving away. He picks up the turkey, he throws it at the car, and he smashes the windshield. What happens next? Well, he spent, he spent Thanksgiving in jail. That's what happened next. And I know that's a depressing story, and I know you might be thinking, hey, I'd never, you know, throw a turkey like that. And I, I get that. You know, I would never waste food like that. You know, and honestly, this, but you're saying, how, how could this happen? Well, the reality is that it can happen, that we can find ourselves, even on a day when we're reminded to be thankful, if we can find ourselves complaining, we can find ourselves critical, we find ourselves ungrateful. And if, if we can't get it right on the one day that we're reminded to be thankful, how, how, what hope do we have for the other days of the year? This is a challenge. Now, some of you are here, I know, and you're saying, ah, that's not really an issue for me. I'm a thankful person. I'm always thankful. Well, let me just ask you a question, okay? This past week, what did you spend more time and energy doing? Complaining or giving thanks? This past week, what did you spend more time and energy doing? Being critical, complaining, or giving thanks? So you're saying, I did pretty good. 
Okay, next question. Can I ask your family and friends what you spent more time doing this past week? <laughs> See, it's, it is a challenge. It's difficult for us. And that's just the reality. That is the, the, that is the reality that we have. We can spend more time complaining and being critical than we are being thankful. Even this morning on your way here, it's possible that maybe out loud or in your heart, you were complaining about someone being late to church. That would never happen, right? On a Sunday morning, trying to get to church, the nine o'clock service. But it's possible, right? Maybe it's on your way here and someone took your parking spot. So internally, there's a little like, oh, I'm a little ungrateful. And maybe worse, they took your spot in the worship center. That could be challenging. Maybe out louder in your heart, you're thinking to yourself, okay, they're not picking the songs that I like. Or they're not, you know, someone's not wearing clothes that you prefer. Or you find yourself internally complaining about someone wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Or you find yourself internally complaining that the pastor keeps talking about complaining. I get it. I'll stop. Okay, I get it. But here's the deal. Complaining is something that comes very natural to us. But giving thanks, we need to be reminded. In the passage we're going to look at today, there's a man who remembers to give thanks to God. But here's the challenge. He's just one out of ten, which should help us understand how challenging this really is and how critical it is for us to understand this passage because it's so important for us to get. All of us want to be grateful. All of us want to be thankful. But we need God's help. We need understanding. We need direction. And all of us want to be around people who are thankful, don't we? Because if we don't get it right, we end up hurting ourselves and we end up hurting others. And so it's so important for us to get it. What I want to do is invite you to turn to the passage we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it there. If not, we've printed the passage for you on your, on your chair. You can follow along with us. But let's read this passage. I want to read it in its entirety because I want you to understand the full conversation that Jesus has. And then we're going to come back and look at it verse by verse so we can really, again, allow it to sink in. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, it says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, two men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them When he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Okay, now going back to verse 11. This helps us understand the context of this passage. Verse 11 is important for us to get. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, it says, and he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. We know that. It's mentioned multiple times in, in Luke that Jesus is set to go to the cross to accomplish his purpose there, the salvation uh, for those who would respond to his gift. So this is what he's headed to do on his way there. He's headed through this border area between Samaria and Galilee. That's a, a Samaritan area and a Jewish area. There's the border there. And of course, this is important for us to understand because a border area like, area like this, like as in many places in the world, is a very hostile territory. 
It's very hostile because the two bordering people groups despised each other. In this case, the Samaritans and the Jewish people despised each other. They hated each other. So this was a very hostile environment. And it's important for us to understand that, that the racial tensions, the religious tensions were very high in this place as Jesus is walking through on his way to Jerusalem. Then the next verse says this, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. So as Jesus is walking into the city, he hasn't entered it yet. There are some men that meet him there, and they're standing at a distance, and they call out to him to have mercy. Now, why are these men standing at a distance from Jesus? Well, the answer is because they have leprosy. Now, we don't talk about leprosy or don't hear about it as much today. But leprosy is a, um, a skin disease, something that affects your skin, but it also um, impacts your nerves. And again, we don't hear about it as much today, but in Jesus' time, this was one of the most devastating diseases you could have. And not only because of what it would, the impact it would have on you physically, but it because of the impact it would have on you uh, socially and spiritually as well. See, the people who have leprosy were forced to leave the city. By law, they had to leave the city. They had to live out in isolation. And they had to, by law, have um, shredded clothes on. They had to have unkempt hair. They had to cover the lower part of their face. And they had to scream out, unclean, unclean, anytime they were near somebody. But they lived truly in isolation. And so it was a devastating disease. And you need to understand that for these men, this wasn't always their story. You need to understand that at some point, each one of these men were living in their hometown. They were integrated into society. It's very likely that these men were married, that they had kids that were, they were once living in a home surrounded by children, that they had nieces or nephews running around as well. But everything changed the moment that it was discovered they had leprosy. And in that moment, they had to leave everything and everyone that they hold dear and move out into isolation as an outcast, doomed truly to live out the rest of their days. So this is their experience. And so they're calling out from a distance to Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, I want to give you a principle from these first couple of verses. And it may come as a little bit of a shock to you, but let me just tell you the principle and then we'll talk about it here in just, a, in just a second. But the principle is this, that we need to remember to give thanks in all circumstances. Remember to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is a little bit of a shock because as you're reading about the lepers and their experience, you're like, what do they have to be thankful for? This is Misery. They're living in isolation. Their life is destroyed. It is absolutely ruined. How can you say give thanks in all circumstances? Well, we can say it because it's actually a larger biblical principle. We find it in other places. Let me show you. It says this in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Then in Ephesians 5, it says this, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is a biblical principle that we give thanks in all circumstances, in all things. But as you hear that, it's like, well, that's easy to say. But when you look at those guys' lives, you're like, surely that's an exception, right? They're, they're living the, uh, the, just a, a nightmare. So how could you then say they, could, they should remember to give thanks in all circumstances? It's an important question. The question is, how can the lepers be thankful in all circumstances? Let me point out two things in these first couple of verses that I see as reasons and ways that they can be thankful in all circumstances. The first one is this, that their circumstances deepen their character, that God could use circumstances to deepen their character. And that's what's happening here. You're saying, well, how is that taking place here? How is God deepening their character through this circumstance? Well, let me help you understand something. It's very interesting. These 10 men that are coming to Jesus, it says there's 10 of them. And it says later in this story that one of them is a Samaritan. Now, this is really fascinating because of the, I already told you, this is a very tense and and hostile territory because of racism. There was very strong racial divide, ethnic divide, religious, spiritual divide between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. But all of a sudden, here you have a Samaritan hanging out with a bunch of Jews. And I'll tell you what, all nine of those Jews would never be caught dead with a Samaritan, even if their life depended upon it. But all of a sudden, here they are, a band of brothers, lepers coming to Jesus. What changed? Their circumstance. Their suffering. All of a sudden, because of their suffering, the wall of racism, the barrier of ethnic differences begin to shatter, begin to fall down, and all of a sudden they recognize there's human value, human dignity. We have a shared common experience, and there's a need for connection and comfort and care. God's using the circumstance to deepen their character. God talks about it in James chapter 1. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and testings of many kinds. When you face these things, when you face challenging, even painful circumstances, because God can use it productively in our lives. That he can mature us. He can develop character. That he can deepen who we are. And for the, for the, in the case of these lepers, they have now formed a community that never would have been formed before. They're no longer divided by racism, but now they're bonded through their common shared experience. Their character is being developed. They are being matured. And that's true for us as well, isn't it? Perhaps through your own painful circumstances, God has used it to deepen your character, to give you a a deeper understanding and care for people, a compassion for others who have gone through or going through the same experience that you have gone through. That through your painful experiences, God has opened up doors for you to have relationship with people that you never would have had a relationship with before because it broke down stereotypes and it broke down distinctions and you began to recognize and see people with a whole new set of, a whole new lens because of the circumstance that you went through. 
that God can use our, our, even our painful and difficult circumstances to bring us uh, to a new understanding, a new care for people. And this is true for my family. Just a little bit of the history. You, you know, I've, I've shared a couple weeks ago that our son Jay um, was born with cancer. And all of a sudden, we were thrust into a whole new world of chemotherapy and, and cancer treatment. We were in the hospital with families who were dealing with all sorts of different uh, places and stages of cancer. And all of a sudden, we were in this brand new community with this whole new understanding and a whole new compassion for what people go through and for the caregivers and what they're offering and the resources that are out there. And then, as you know, our son is a cancer survivor, but he was an, he's an amputee. And now all of a sudden, we're thrust into a whole new world of prosthetic care. And we're all now all of a sudden connecting with people who have prosthetics and, 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 have, or, and, and over time even connected back with people who are going through the front end of what we had traveled through. And we're now all of a sudden have a new sense of understanding and compassion that God has matured us and developed us in a certain way to meet and care for people in that place. This is what God does through painful circumstances in our life. And in our life, it opened up the door to a whole new way of looking at family. That as we thought about how we expand our family and, and growing a family, that my wife was like, we should, we should consider adopting. And as we prayed and as we talked, and uh, that's a whole other story that I'll tell you another time, we found ourselves in a place where we were focused on adopting children from China because we had heard that there are kids in China who are waiting for families who had limb loss and limb difference, just like our son Jay. And if we could bring a child into our family, even if they're coming from a different ethnic background or, or origin or place, that even in our family, because of their limb loss and our son's limb loss, they would say, oh, we're still the same. And we can comfort each other. And because of our experience, we had a new understanding of resources and a new way to care. And so God just used our pain and challenge and confusion to open up a whole new way of seeing the world and a whole new purpose for what our life looks like. This is what God does. Now you look at the story, and you're like, this, this is miserable. And all of a sudden you recognize, oh, they're living in a completely different community that they never lived in before with the racial boundaries and stereotypes broken down. And God is using it to mature them, to develop their character. But here's a second thing. There's a second way that they can give thanks in all circumstances here in this first few verses. The, the second thing is this, that their circumstance draws them to Christ. Their circumstance draws them to Christ. Look at verse 13. I'll come back to this in just a second, but look at verse 13. It says this. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They're coming to Jesus. Their circumstance, their pain, their challenge, their confusion is drawing them to Christ. We can go back to the principle so you can see it if you want to write it down, but this is so important. That God can use painful circumstances, difficult circumstances to draw us to him, to call out to him, where we at some point abandon hope in our resources and confidence in what we bring, but say, God, I need you. I need your resources. I need to stop putting confidence in my abilities and in you. That's what they, they came to, the point where they, we can't cure it. We can't solve it. We, we, we are at the the, at the end of things. We, we have no other way to turn. And because of that, it turns them towards Jesus. It draws them to Christ. And it's possible without that circumstance that they may not have 
wanted to seek Jesus, that they may not have wanted to come and say, we need mercy, that they would have thought, yeah, I'm doing okay on my own. I'm figuring it out. But instead, their painful circumstance, the challenges, draws them to Christ. And this is important for us to see as well in our lives. I love um, this quote from Helen Keller. She said this, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. Helen Keller, of course, was blind and deaf, and is a truly remarkable person, but it was her saying, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for my handicaps because it helped me understand who I am, the work that God has for me, and more than that, it helped me understand who God is. It drew her to Christ. For some of you, that's been part of your story as well, where there's been a painful circumstance, a challenging moment, and it's drawn you to Christ because you have to depend on him. And God can use even difficult things in our life to trust him in a new way. For, my, per, for me personally, it was a, a, a life-threatening um, physical condition in my life that actually brought my parents to faith in Jesus Christ when I was a baby. It was the death of my cousin Brett that brought my uncle Hal to faith in Jesus Christ. In the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances, it can, God can use it to call us to him, to depend on him. In the midst of a pandemic, I tell you, all, I've had dozens and dozens of conversations with people who in the midst of these past few years have started turning to say, I, I want to have conversations about Jesus. Or I have a new understanding or appreciation for the church and a desire to connect in community with God's people. But God is using loneliness, isolation, challenges to draw people to himself. See, God can use all of these things. And it's important for us to remember to give thanks in all circumstances. There's a pastor who, um, his name is Martin Rinkhart, and he authored a hymn called Thank We All Our God. He was a pastor in the 17th century. In fact, it's an interesting story. He became a pastor um, during the Thirty Years' War in Germany, which in many ways uh, was the most devastating war in all of Germany, even more so than World War I or World War II. It was a devastating war. And his pastorate was during this Thirty Years' War. And he lived in a little uh, town called Einsburg. And in this town, there was, it was a town, it was a small town, but it got flooded with refugees that were moving into the town trying to flee um, from the war that was taking place. And in this overcrowded city, a plague hit. And it was a devastating plague. It was so devastating that thousands of people were dying. In fact, Martin, Rink, uh, uh, Martin Rinkhart it's at one point was um, officiating up to 50 funerals a day. And over the course of his pastorate, he um, conducted uh, somewhere near 4,500 memorial services. Can you imagine that? Including his, his wife's, by the way. After the plague, then there was a famine. And the survivors of the famine remember that in the streets they would see 30 to 40 people fighting over a dead cat or crow that was found in the town. That's how bad it was. But in the midst of that, he writes this hymn. 
He writes this hymn, Thank We All Our God. In fact, it started, his, this hymn, this song that he ended up writing really started as a table prayer that he would pray with his kids at dinner to remind them to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Isn't that powerful? That in the midst of war, in the midst of plague, in the midst of famine, in the midst of death, that he still has a grateful heart. And he's still saying, thanks, we all are God. How powerful is that? A reminder for us, and that's what we need at this time, to be reminded to give thanks to God in all our circumstances. But there's a second reminder that I want you to see in this passage as well. So I want to look at the next verse. It says this, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus sees the, the lepers, and he says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, you're saying, I want God to work in my life. How does God work in my life? It's interesting. Jesus doesn't, you know, say some special words or, you know, touch them or offer a pray. He just says, go show yourselves to the priests. As soon as they go, it says, as soon as they went, they were healed. How does God work? God works in response to faith. God works in response to faith. It's when they turned and were going to the priest that they were healed. In all times, in all places, for all people, God responds to faith. When you come to the cross, he responds in faith. When you come and you say, God, I need, direct, I need direction, I need your power, I need your peace in my life, he responds in faith. So they, res- they respond in faith and they're, they're cleansed, it says. Now, on their way to the priest, it says this in verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back and praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So this one guy, he looks down and he realizes he's healed as he's, wa- he's on his way to the priest, and he stops right there. And he turns back and he goes to Jesus. And it says that he's praising God in a loud voice. He's screaming, God, thank you. He's praising God. Thank you. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. He worships. He recognizes Jesus healed him. And he went back to say thanks. Oh, and the interesting thing, right, that's mentioned here, and he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. Why is that interesting? Well, it's because he's the outsider in the group. Now, in that band, they were banded together, but he's the outsider. The other nine are probably Jewish people. They're insiders, which helps us understand, I think sometimes it's harder for people who are insiders to be thankful than it is for outsiders. And I think sometimes that's true even in the church, that sometimes we can be so accustomed to God's blessings and wanting God's blessings and seeking God's blessings that we, we miss the one who blesses. And that's the principle that I want you to see. The principle is this, that we're to remember to give thanks, not just, not only for the blessings of God, but for the God who blesses. That we're to give thanks, not only to the blessings of God, but to the God who blesses. See, as those men were running to the priest, were they all thankful? Yeah, I bet they were very thankful. When they're running to the priest and they see that leprosy is gone, they're all grateful for the gift of God in their life. But only one goes back and says, I want to thank the gift giver. Do you hear the difference there? Do you feel it? See, it's possible for us to be so thankful for God's blessings, but miss the God who blesses. 
It's, th- it's possible for us to say, I'm so thankful for the weather, I'm so thankful for my family, I'm so thankful for my job, and miss the fact that all of those come from a source, from the God who blesses. The Samaritan goes back. He's the one that goes back, and he falls at Jesus' feet. He blesses. He thanks the God who blesses. He recognizes that it's God the one that, that offered this to him. Now, sometimes when we read a passage like this, we like to think to ourselves, you know, who would I be in this story? You know, what, what, what role would I have? And my guess is all of us would like to imagine ourselves as the Samaritan, as the one who goes back and falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, thank you. But nine times out of ten, we're probably continuing to run. Thankful for the blessing, but missing the one who blesses. Nine times out of ten, it's likely that we're saying, okay, God, thanks for this, thanks for that. I'm entitled to that. God, I pray you're just like the vending machine. I get it from you. That's awesome. But we miss it. We miss the God who blesses and worshiping him, being reminded of who he is and what he's done. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the following verse, the, the Samaritan comes back, and Jesus says to him in the following verse, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, he was already well. So what is Jesus talking to here about here? He'd already been physically healed. But now, as he comes back and he worships Jesus, the source, the giver of all good things, the one who blesses, Jesus blesses him again. And this time, literally translated, what this verse literally translated, it says, your faith has saved you. That's what it says in the Greek. Your faith has saved you. So what he's saying is you're now spiritually healed. All 10 of the guys were physically healed. The one came back. He received extra blessing. He received salvation. He received spiritual healing because he went to the source. He recognized that there's a God who loves. There's a God who cares. There's a God who's powerful. He's the one that I need to worship. And I bow down at his feet. And he received spiritual blessing as well as the physical healing. We need to be reminded that there is a God who loves us and who wants to give us good gifts. But we also need to remember to give thanks to the God who gives those gifts, to give him praise, to worship him, to come back to his feet and say, thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. As we come into the closing of this service, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And this time of communion really is an opportunity for us to be reminded of what God has done for us, to come back to the source, to come back to the one who gave his very son for us. I love how it says it in 1 Corinthians. We, we, don't, we don't have to go back to it, but it just talks about how we've been given this indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't take it for granted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. That each and every one of us, in many ways, are like those lepers. That because of our sin, we are separated from God. That there's loneliness, there's isolation, there's pain because of our own guilt, the burden that we carry. 
But God doesn't want to just leave us there in isolation and pain. He did something about it. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to take the disease of sin from our lives, and he put it upon himself and then gave us his righteousness so that we could be free, so that we could live. This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. This is the indescribable gift. And as we come into this time of communion, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of that gift that he's given to us. And so I'll, I'll just say two things and we're going to worship here um, as we enter into this time of communion. Communion truly is an opportunity where we get to remember what God has done. And there's two elements. There's the bread and the cup. And we're going to talk about it together. And what I would invite you to do is just hold on to this just for a moment. We're going to um, take the bread together after we sing the song and then we're going to sing another song and take the cup together because I want this to be a, an environment, a worship environment where we can say thanks through our singing, through our prayers and then we'd be reminded as we take these elements. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you can go ahead and let this pass because it will mean so much more to you when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and understand what, this, what you're really remembering and what he's really done. But I want to invite you to do this. Um, if you don't have a cup, they're passing around now. Um, grab it, hold on to it. Let's enter into this time of worship and praise, being reminded of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then we'll come back and we'll partake together.